Hi everyone, data stories number 30. Hi Moritz, how are you? Hey Enrico, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Wow, yeah. number 30, it's a, it's a nice number. I like yeah, it. It's uh, almost like an anniversary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. We're growing up, man. <laughs> <laughs> slowly, slowly. Slowly, slowly, yeah. slowly. Yeah. Actually, I'm on? not so fit. I have the flu. I have the kindergarten flu, which is uh, one of the diseases nobody really talks about, but it's a, it's a killer. Yeah, it's the yeah the toughest one. Actually. Yeah, six months <laughs> of agony I had. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> it's it. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm high on ginger tea, and uh, <laughs> let's see what happens next. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I had the same last week. Yeah. It's just an ongoing process. Yeah. So what's going on? Any news from your side? Ah, uh, not so much. Just wrapping up the year. Super busy with all the open ends <laughs> that I said yeah. I will take care of later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just published you. that B graphic. Yeah, I, I really like that. that one. Yeah. yeah. So it's for Scientific American on on the. There was a really interesting study on the development of wild bees, and it turned out a lot of them. At least in the area they investigated had gone locally extinct, and uh, but also others had built up new relationships with plants. So it was kind of an interesting data set, and I sort of documented that also on my blog. So if you're interested, mm-hmm. you can read that. Yeah, that's, yeah, and I liked how it turned out. It's for me, it's uh, not a not home turf to work on an A4 page, but it sort of worked <laughs> out, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 What are you I- doing? Uh, working, working hard as usual, <laughs> and looking forward to having some some vacation. Sure. Uh, yeah, nothing really special. I'm I keep working with my students, and uh, they are actually they presented previews of their projects in the class I'm teaching, and I have to say that there are some interesting projects. I I hope I will be able to show some stuff on the web when once nice. they are done. Some What's the them. topic or a theme? Do you know? Uh, like, did you did you? Frame well, every it? every student does a, a specific a different project. There are people who are doing more things on the data analysis side, so they're they're just using analytics and visualization tools to to discover something in a data set they are interested in. So, for instance, there is one guy who is who is actually using a data set coming from his own company, so which makes mm-hmm. things quite quite interesting. I have a couple mm-hmm. of groups actually doing that. Nice. There is one in on the financial market and another one on the oh, what's what's this company about? I think they are they are running um uh certain certification tests and they have a huge database of the mm-hmm. results of this test and is interested in discovering something out there but i also have students doing more creative stuff there is one student who is creating a um, sort of tabletop version of multi-dimensional projections and then you can <laughs> interact with this stuff with your hands it's quite quite nice there is a whole range of different stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> cool, it's fun that sounds really good yeah, yeah it's fun it's fun it's a lot of fun. Anyway, we have a guest today, as usual. And I'm really happy to introduce Marion Dork. And we are going to talk about something really special and somewhat w- sounds a, re- a, a bit weird. The title of the show today, it's the Information Flaneur, which Marion will explain shortly what, what is about. And hi, Marion. How are you? Hi, Enrico. I'm fine. I'm happy to be on your show. It's great to have you on the show. So, Marianne is a... I think you are a newly appointed professor, right? Yeah. Uh, recently appointed in uh, Potsdam, close to Berlin, right? Or in Berlin. I don't remember exactly. It's just outside of Berlin. Um, yeah. I'm living in Berlin, but I'm working in Potsdam. Actually, at the... Um, so, it's called in English, it's probably called the University of Applied Sciences of yeah. Potsdam. Yeah. And... Um, and actually, this is the place where Moritz has his uh, master from. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Connections everywhere. So the connections Potsdam connection is, is, yeah, yeah, it's everywhere. It's like the <laughs> kindergarten flu, really. <laughs> it spreads. 
<laughs> no, but we were joking really at this visualized Berlin conference. I think everybody except two people had some connection to Potsdam, like taught there, you know, has been studying there or something. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to say I'm really happy to have you on the show, Marian. And I think both me and Moritz, we are fan of your work. And I always cross you in some conferences or other events. And uh, it's always fun to see your work and talk to you. Um, so I think the best way to start is if you give a little bit of background, what you do, what you've done in the past, and finally introduce the idea of information flaneur, which is really, really interesting. Sure. <clears throat> interesting and weird, right? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> okay, well, weird well, things are interesting, right? By definition. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I'm actually really happy to be on the show because I've been listening in and out. Uh, I haven't caught up with every show, but um, uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I have to say coming after Ben Schneiderman is, you know, <laughs> I, it's, it's really tough. Uh, but um, so that last show I actually really enjoyed. So <clears throat> a little bit about myself. Um I, uh, I actually started uh, university in my hometown uh, at the University of Magdeburg in Germany, where I studied computational visualistics. Like Gregor Eich, oh, by the, same the way. As Gregor, right? Yeah, the connections are. It's getting <laughs> and worse and worse. Just Gregor, also uh, Petra, who you had on the show oh, a couple Petra of weeks well. back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a computer science degree, but with a focus on uh, graphics, visualization, image processing, mm -hmm. and uh, also some sort of uh, non-technical subjects. So we had some politics and psychology and design. So um, it's a really neat program. Anyways, <laughs> um, I, I did actually my final thesis project for my um, for this degree. I actually already did at the University of Calgary as a sort of uh, diploma intern uh, with Sheila Carpendale and Carrie Williamson. And uh, this project sort of got me hooked um, uh, into sort of visualization and information seeking. So sort of visual search as sort of a label, which at the beginning I didn't really like, but now I think it sort of fits <laughs> for what I'm doing. And um, and this this project, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed. It was sort of uh, dynamic queries for blogs on the web, um, sort of um, the idea of juxtaposing different simple visualizations of maybe time, uh, map, or location, and tags, and and using that to explore or filter through blog posts and other stuff. Um, yeah, and anyway, so during that time, I, I actually noticed that uh, visualization is or information visualization is not just a tool for not just a useful tool for data analysis but also really for sort of this open-ended uh, information seeking sort of um, moving around in in large complex information spaces and um, and I actually uh, stayed uh, or came back to Calgary uh, for doing uh, a PhD with Sheila Carpendale and Carrie Williamson and um, during that time uh, I was sort of Going really deep into that, that that subject, I did a few case studies. Um, I also did some internships um, at industry labs where uh, we, we sort of dealt with uh, with Twitter data, with academic publications, uh, and sort of rich collections where essentially the data is not just data, but it has these uh, rich, complex uh, um, links among it. And it sort of invites uh, not just for analysis, but actually also for sort of navigation and 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 looking around um so um that's uh i finished that phd uh, a little bit over a year ago one and a half years ago and then i uh, went to newcastle university in the uk um where i did a one-year postdoc uh, working on the patina project um which where we sort of tried to uh, develop visual interfaces for archives and uh, for playful text analysis and um and yeah Fairly freshly, I'm now um, um, in in Berlin since October, working at the University of Applied Sciences in Potsdam, um, and um, I'm I'm really happy to be there. Uh, both uh, students and staff are super friendly and, and interested. And actually, um, uh, I'm I have a sort of funny position. It's called uh, a research professorships mm -hmm. a professorship. So um, that means that I have. Um, um, compared to other sort of polytechnic-like universities, mm -hmm. uh, which in Germany are called Fachhochschulen, yeah. um, I have a reduced teaching load, and uh, I'm sort of um, expected and or I'm allowed to do uh, lots of research. So I'm trying to <laughs> <Sounds> <laughs> bring, 
Yeah, it's actually quite nice. Uh, um, and I'm sort of trying you to bring research. You are allowed to quest. do research. <laughs> Sounds nice. <laughs> in your spare time, of course. In your spare time. No, actually, yeah, well, also because you don't stop, but um, you don't stop thinking. But uh, you, um, um, I'm, I'm actually, so I, I'm actually co-teaching right now a course with uh, Sebastian Meyer, and um, and we really try to do that to to bring research questions into into this course and and. Um, and not just hinge on the the sort of fundamentals, but actually outline where open questions are and where yeah. where we can sort of push the boundaries. Even though um, you know these students, uh, you know they're not PhD students yet; they're like bachelor students and master students, uh, not in the first years, but um, but they're really keen on um, on doing something novel and something useful, and, and it's it's good fun. So, Marian. Uh, so you briefly mentioned that at some point in your research you came up with this idea that there is something beyond data analysis and then visualization may play a big role there and uh, i think that's that's the main the main topic of of this of this show and um of of this episode sorry and that's the reason why we wanted to talk with you because i think it's really really interesting the idea of using visualization for something that is beyond Uh, data analysis and beyond having a very specific question to target, but it's more kind of like exploration and just curiosity, right? Supporting curiosity, mm -hmm. yeah. I guess, yeah. Yeah. and even mm -hmm. serendipity, discovering something that you didn't expect or just navigate large spaces to see what's there, right? If I understand it yeah. right. And I think this is what you call information... That's the reason why you you mentioned information flaneur or something like that. Can you yes, explain to yeah, us yeah. a little bit better what you what you mean by information flaneur? What is the flaneur? It's a, it's a weird yeah. So I could maybe start with actually why I came across this. Because sure. It's fairly sure. serendipitous or um, yeah. Um, so in Calgary during my PhD um, um, time, uh, I was uh, also allowed encouraged <laughs> to take non-computer science courses. <laughs> And one of the courses I took um, was urban design theory, um, and I came across this. It was what? Uh, this notion. Sorry, can you say it again? It was what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was urban design theory. Mm -hmm. So sort of city studies or uh, yeah, city uh, urban theory, uh, urban urban studies. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we read about um, yeah different design thinking around the city, city planning, but uh, also sort of from from sort of cultural um, from cultural studies and, and sort of literature to some degree. And I came across this notion of the flaneur, of, of the urban wanderer uh, of the 19th century, sort of roaming the streets of Paris. And um, it's sort of a beautiful picture of, uh, of a curious fella uh, enjoying the city and being, maybe also being critical. But uh, the thing is, um, I came across this uh, during an exam, uh, sort of a midway exam or, uh, yeah, like sort of a time during the PhD where I had to write a report, uh, sort of a, I had some questions for it. And I was sort of, um, I don't know, I, like I was sort of, I wanted to write about something else, not visualization and, and research questions and blah. So I had actually, I actually introduced in that paper, I introduced uh, uh, an X course, sort of like a, uh, a distraction section that was about the flaneur. And I was sort of making that leap that maybe the flaneur, maybe that notion of this curious, strolling guy is actually what uh, visualization can do for rich information spaces. And um, I, so for me, that was sort of a way to keep my mind interested in that task of writing that, uh, that, you know, that paper. And uh, in the end, and I'm, you know, I tried to find linkages and in the end, uh, my, my um, supervisor, Sheila Carpendale, she said, well, Marianne, actually, this is it. This, this is what really captures what visualization can do when we search through and explore, um, you know, collections and, and, and information spaces. And then I started to sort of revisit this more seriously. And actually there are some really interesting linkages and um, I, I found it to be really fruitful. So now how, 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 how so? Um, so in the end, the flaneur um, gives us um, a new perspective on the city. So while we might see the city as a place for economies or for work and for, for living and for commerce, um, the flaneur sees the city um, sort of curiously along different senses, smells, sounds, but it's also a sort of uh, critical, 
um, person who, who questions. So at the time when the flaneur came up as a sort of cultural figure, um, industrialization was uh, picking up steam, literally, and um, um, uh, capitalism was sort of, uh, um, you know, bringing up all different kinds of issues and anonymity and uh, just the, the um, and, and so maybe also poverty and, and so forth. So the flaneur is not just a dandy enjoying and being fascinated by the city, but also someone who notices, oh, there's all these other things that are happening that are also problematic. So he develops by wandering around, by reflecting, by taking in the different perceptions, he develops his own uh, perspective. And also he sort of walks at a different pace that gives him a privileged uh, uh, sensation of the city. And, and then also is someone, maybe someone poetic, someone uh, creative, also sort of reimagines what uh, uh, city life could be. And I was sort of reading all these different texts, uh, like um, Walter Benjamin and others, and I thought, wow, that's such a, you know, and I also was, I was sort of picking the good bits, you know. There are also issues with this, uh, with this figure we can talk about later. But, um, and I found this attitude of that flaneur towards the city, towards this new cultural backdrop. You know, back then, 19th century was this growing cultural backdrop for most of the things that were happening uh, in terms of culture and, and, and science and so forth. Um, the flaneur uh, posed an, uh, an interesting attitude and an interesting perspective. And I think we can borrow that, we can borrow the flaneur's attitude uh, to think about um, how we engage with digital information. You know, as, as the web is becoming um, the sort of the cultural backdrop uh, for everything that we do. You know, if we go to a theater play or if we go to a, a conference or if we just have breakfast, uh, Twitter or some other social media site, whatever, is always with us, email is with us. We are sharing photos on Instagram and so forth. So, so the, the web has become that, uh, I think, that complementary backdrop. Besides the, the physical urban sphere, there's also the digital sphere. And I think uh, the information flaneur is my attempt to frame the searcher or the viewer or the person, uh, you know, engaging with the digital uh, um, uh, around positive aspects, around uh, curiosity, around, um, you know, reflection and, and creativity. And, um, and I, I sort of, cont I try to contrast uh, that sort of optimistic or um, idealistic persona um, with the um, the models that we had before in information seeking. So traditionally, the searcher, <clears throat> from what I was sort of comparing the sort of the role of visualization, uh, the searcher was framed around deficiencies, like information needs, uh, um, uh, knowledge gaps, problems. Um, actually, a recent paper uh, talked about um, uh, the pathology, the dark side of information, <laughs> the pathologies. So, sure, I mean, I anxiety, think we are yeah, all, <laughs> yeah, anxiety, and you know, sure, we all, you know, we are all patients, but um, in a way, but I don't want to design for a patient. I'm not, I don't want to design medicine. You know, <laughs> it also has this sort of bitterness to I it. Like this but I, yeah, and and I think and I think we can also turn it around. And there's mm. actually evidence that people are enjoying when they encounter. Uh, uh, more data, you know, genealogists in, um, in, in North America, they're crazy about new data. Once they find a new archive, more dust to go through, they're just excited about it. And, and there's so much, so many examples of our sort of day-to-day -day information practices, you know, as we roam bookshops or, um, just scan our environment where such as serendipity, such as information encountering, right. Sure. Um, people actually have positive uh, information experiences. And so the information flaneur became sort of, on the one hand, using the flaneur as a, as a lens. And then it's not just, you know, it's, I'm not just imagining or dreaming up uh, my, my, my favorite uh, user persona, but I actually then use um, uh, evidence from studies about um, emotion and perception and, and just also in, uh, information practices that, um, and bring them together. So Marian, I'm, I'm wondering, can you give us a couple of examples of visualization tools that you develop that are actually goes exactly into this direction? I think this would make more, more concrete for our listeners what you're saying. Yeah, so I came up with, with, with the concept of the information flaneur, uh, um, I think after maybe the second PhD project. So 
sort of post hoc, I could say, yeah, it sort of fits the model, but they weren't really designed towards um, the information planner. Uh, the first uh, visualization um, that actually uh, was uh, explicitly designed for sort of strolling through information spaces was um, a project I've done at, at Microsoft Research called Pivot Paths. So um, it's, it's, a, a, it's a visualization slash interface with which you can um, explore academic publications. Uh, and in particular, you can look at uh, authors, publications, and keywords. And everything hinges on the publications, the authors, and also then co-authorship relationships, as well as the keywords associated with these papers. And um, the interface, uh, essentially, er after you've chosen a starting point, which is not really the main point of the, of, of the tool, after you've chosen maybe an author, um, you are presented with um, maybe her most uh, cited 20 papers. And then it actually, the interface arranges. So this is sort of shown uh, horizontally in the middle. And, uh, and then above and below, um, you have a sort of um, visualization uh, um, that shows the most frequent keywords below. And above, you see all the authors, all the co-authors of this author, of the selected author. And of course, it's you know talking about visualization without showing, but uh, let's pretend our listeners actually have it right in front of their eyes right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we can but, put it into the post. Or yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. But the point was with this is essentially that we have a visualization. We see, oh, this person is co-authoring a lot with this other person because I, I adjust the font size and I have a certain arrangement that communicates that. But on top of that, all of these um, sort of elements, authors, papers, keywords, in this arrangement are uh, interactive. So, so you can actually click on them and they become the new anchor point. Mm -hmm. So you sort of pivot from one that's, And that's a pivot element, obviously, is that you always have one pivot point, right? Exactly, yeah. So, I um, got it. <laughs> yes, you, yes, that's the point. That's and, nice. And, 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 and as you... And so the thing is... Uh, um, so, so the flaneur, when he moves uh, through the city, um, there are not really discontinuities. I mean, yes, sometimes something is overlapping, something is mm. behind the building or whatever, but as you take one step forward uh, and another, it's really like a gradual movement. But the way we move on the web, either by changing search queries or by clicking on links, is very abrupt. You know, one display change after another, uh, you don't actually see the overlap between these. And with pivot paths, we um we try to connect these states because a as you move from author A to author B, there must be an overlap because mm. uh, author B is already co-author from, from A. So we can actually pull along the publications and the metadata, like the keywords and the other authors, into the next state. So you have a continuous. So you actually, yeah. as you pivot, it's clear how they next, relate to each other. That's that's yes. very nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. you sort of you sort of perceptually you're dragged along, and and your movement through that space is, you could say, a strolling movement. Mm -hmm. Now, it's also, so this tool is also, uh, I mean, it's sort of like, a, I guess, a weakness of, weakness of the tool. Um, the tool doesn't really let you um, filter down or reduce much. You actually can only do that movement. So that's, <laughs> that's the, the yeah. problem of a research project that has just three months. But, um, and, you know, we had deployed this for a couple of weeks and people had some issue at the beginning because they didn't see the point. They thought it was about, you know, drilling in into one, you know, the right result. And then as they used it more, they noticed, oh, it's actually about that movement, about learning about a person's yeah. uh, research Yeah, but I mean, interests. that's an obvious, I think, like attack vector. <laughs> Is that if you say, I mean, I understand you're optimizing for, let's say we take an arbitrary starting point and then the interesting things happen as you move from step to step and you're sort of being inspired by what you see and also you make your own decisions. So it's a kind of this really interesting interplay. But I think the, the obvious yeah, attack vector <laughs> would be to say, well, what's the big picture? So I collect a lot of anecdotal evidence or I get some feeling for what the city is or what this document collection is. But how, how, how will I know it's complete? Okay. Um, Good question. <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> oh, what, what a downer. Yeah, <laughs> Enjoying oh, ourselves. Years of research down the drain. <laughs> but um, so this project... No, you must get um, that a lot. I mean, you must get that in every single paper session, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I just say next question, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so the prototype... You are ready for an academic the... career, Moritz. <laughs> <laughs> so this prototype um, is showing only the top 20, or depending on how big your window is. And um, I think that was one of the frustrations uh, I had with, with that project, or we all had, that what do we do, how do we sh how do we give presence to what uh you know to what we can't show so it's kind of with with google when we in a search interface what do we do with page 2 to to page 100 mm. that is not shown on page 1 of course it's a paradox what you know how do i show what i don't show um i can't show the labels for everything um my screen is not big enough and my perception is probably the bigger problem that i can't you know uh, uh, attend to all of that, but um, what you can do is um, um, is actually uh, maybe give some uh, some notion of what is cut. Um, but the larger problem, actually, that you're saying is, well, I only see the perspective around an anchor point. That's I think that's your point, right? right? Like I select yeah. an author, I see the 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 world around the author, but uh, the database actually has over a million papers and, and even more so metadata fields. Yeah, it's like you now, drop somebody with a helicopter to stay within the city metaphor. You drop somebody with a helicopter somewhere in Paris, mm -hmm. and then let him walk around like for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then you ask him, so what's the city like? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. What's, and, what's the problem? I mean, if, 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 you are designing, if you are designing for an information flaneur, this is what you expect, right? I mean, I'm just trying to... No, no, let's let's go along with that because this is actually great. Great that you use Paris, Morris. <laughs> because <laughs> go ahead. do you think? So first of all, I was going to say, well, there is no overview, uh, but that sounds a little bit uh, um, too philosophical. Mm -hmm. But do you think <laughs> you have a do you think you have a um, a truthful or useful representation of Paris if you hover over it, um, you know, a couple mm -hmm. thousand kilometers? Uh, Not I really. You just so. see the streets. You don't see what's happening in, inside the store. Yeah. yeah, you don't. You, you haven't spent time in a coffee shop. You right. haven't strolled along the Seine. Yeah. You haven't seen Mona Lisa, of course. Yeah, uh, haven't but, been cheated um, by a taxi driver. Yeah, yeah. that's you know that's what, what it takes to be in Paris, and you haven't had that. <laughs> so um, of course, there's a certain randomness if you just drop you know parachuted into a random street. So. Um, that's. I think that's still an open question when you when you deal with these large information spaces. What's your starting point? And that can be curated. Maybe you have you know maybe the researcher mm -hmm. of the day, mm -hmm. or it could be based on where where you're from, what your home institution is, and with institution I mean academic institution, um, or whatever, or you know where what has where there's affinity with your research interests. So for example, you could actually use a keyword like information visualization, and then you know shape the visualization around that. So but the thing is, and that I, I'm that what really excites me is um, to to question the overview. Yeah. <laughs> so we, and we just had Ben Schneiderman on the show, so we are now <laughs> all pro overview. <laughs> no, but I think yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a really interesting thing to think about, and something that is probably not enough discussed. Like it, it seems to be like one of the the basic assumptions in Infovis, in fact, that overview is super important. And and I like how you how you question that. I, I think that's a yeah. Well, I'm I, it's it's really sort of like a um, I haven't thought this this through yet, so I'm sort of uh, weighing this. But um, I'm 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 starting to wonder um, whether um, whether the visual information seeking mantra that Ben Schneiderman, who you had on the show last time, <laughs> who I really admire and I love his work. Uh, and I find this, you know, I find this mantra also very useful. But this this mantra says overview first, you know, and then zoom and filter, and then details on demand at some point. Yeah. But uh, it prioritizes overview, and um, you know, I think it's very useful. I, 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 I because it actually sort of um, sort of lists very important activities that we need to do with data and with information, mm. and and I think it's it, it's fine. But I think this this prioritization is not. Um, is not what we what's always useful. I think sometimes it's nice to start maybe at a point that relates to you. Maybe you actually want to start local. Mm. So uh, there was a in your hometown or something like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or mm. yeah, or maybe with yourself. You know, there's there's so much ego searching. So if you're an academic, right, 
you know, you might just look up yourself and then, you know, move along co-authors mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. uh, your interests. Explore and, that um, niche, yeah, that niche yeah. exploration. There's, uh, there's another point maybe that maybe maybe for some data sets it, it just works better to do overview type visualizations. I mean, my first thought would be the ones where you can actually nicely aggregate across along a hierarchy like numbers, right? Then, of course, it's very easy to do like really seamless and nice overview things. But if you have like 10,000 photos or paintings, it's very hard to... to to combine them uh, in a meaningful well, and way, right? Some people try it, try it, right? Like uh, Lev Manovich, he's uh, working with his colleagues at, um, I think he was first in California, but now I think he's in New York. New York, yeah. He's, mm. he's doing the, uh, the cultural analytics stuff, um, you know, placing thousands of Instagram photos on a plane and looking at the color patterns or, you know, time cover, right. um, time yeah. magazine covers and so forth. And yes, we can see patterns. Um, I I think it's it's beautiful stuff. I would probably to some degree question the um the depth maybe of what we can see there um of the sort of color distributions. Um but um I was going to go to say something. Um yeah, but I think when we when we ask for the overview, when we ask for the overview of um of for example publications of these more rich, not just quantitative, not just you know, number series, but actually rich data sets, rich information spaces where we have labels, uh, sorry, titles, uh, descriptions, maybe images, linkages, and so forth. What would it mean to actually give an overview? What would it mean to show everything? And it, it means you're cutting away a lot of things. And then mm. the question is, uh, uh, where do you cut? And I think, um, so I, I, I worked on a project, um, Uh, over the last year uh, in Newcastle, where we were trying to, to sort of rethink uh, the relationship between overview and, and detail, uh, the, the individual element and the, um, and the large collection. And, um, and I think that, that uh, we have to sort of, um, yeah, especially for these sort of rich information spaces, I think there, there's space uh, to, to, to innovate in the space between overview, abstract overviews and these sort of individual views of just one resource. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sure, do you see these techniques also moving into, I mean, we do have a lot of browsing softwares and devices and so on already um, that, yeah, actually don't use much data visualization, right? So our, our web browsers are still very, I mean, they have a back button, right? <laughs> uh, Or, I mean, the way we interact on mobile with, with contents. Do you see, let's say, InfoVis techniques moving into that field? Or do you think this will be more specific interfaces that you, that you use more in a, let's say, dedicated setting? Um, that's a good question. So I think visualization still has the allure of high-tech and uh, complexity and, and, and future and, and so forth. But I think that there's potential to integrate um, visualization, uh, uh, how do you say, magic fairy dust into conventional interfaces, like a, you know, maybe um, a search interface can actually benefit from um, some visualization components. Um, there's a nice, um, a nice a library catalog interface from UTS, uh, um, which is, I think, the Technical Uni of Sydney. So the, uh, the UTS library, interface um, has a, a, a Dewey decimal classification visualization that is quite minimalistic. It's just uh, a tiny band um, that is above the, uh, the result display and it sort of visualizes how many uh, books are in each Dewey category and uh, you don't have to use it, you can just ignore it. Uh, if, but if you if you enter a search term such as architecture, it will actually shape um, or it sort of it will stretch or shrink the um, um, corresponding categories, and so you see sort of maybe oh architecture is actually not just in I don't know I don't know what the labels are for the different um, top categories, but it's maybe not just culture or architecture, but it's also computer science because people are talking about you know. Um, system architectures and so forth. And if you're actually interested in computing architectures, you could then click on that um, on that category, and it would then also behave as a filtering uh, mechanism. So um, you can use the visualization in a very sort of lightweight way um, to 
sort of uh, dive into a subset of the the catalog um, without having to actually specify this is the uh, Dewey decimal um, thing or actually specify the code. So this is this is an example of where you have um, actually visualization being introduced to um, to an existing search or sort of filtering interface without actually turning the whole interface into a visualization, right? Just sort of, you know, have it a little, uh, just a little bit in there integrated it. Um, yeah. And, and that's interesting. Are you familiar with that notion of information sent? Yeah, so information sent um, is quite related. Um, it, it was sort of this idea that um, when we have uh, a user interface uh, and there are different options of, of navigating or of, uh, of using filters, that um, they can be sort of shaped by color or by size um, that could could be visualizing maybe uh, prior activity. Maybe more people have um, taken that path or uh, have added more comments to that um, to that resource. Um, so it's essentially it's it's a way of um, how do you say yeah, informing your path by um, for example um, the 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 activity of others mm -hmm. before, mm -hmm. but I think you can also use other data sources for it. Um, yeah, I, I, that's a good question. I think information sent is slightly different because it uses some external, external source, I think, if I understand it correctly, mm -hmm. such as social activity and blends it with your typical interface. Yeah. So it actually doesn't change your, your GUI or your, your interface or your result list or whatever, mm -hmm. but it sort of sprinkles some um, uh, visualization <laughs> some data happiness. Yeah. Um, but I, I think so that the, 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 there is a strong connection when you think about, so if we go back to the example that we were discussing before, where you said, where if I start from a seed point, then I cannot visualize everything, right? I can basically only visualize the neighborhood of my seed point. And then you have a whole collection of things that you just cannot put in your in your visualization because it's too it's too far away right but then information sent is a sort of framework that can help you uh, deciding what to put in your context according to what is the how to give the right information about what directions can be followed to get more information starting from the point where you are now so there are there are lots of interesting research and tools and results out there that actually leverage on this idea how do i visualize uh, what is not in the direct neighborhood of my current point of view and i think that's that's really 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 interesting and in the end connected to to what you said before looks quite relevant yeah, well, the thing is, I mean, we don't want to be just locked into our local view. Um, uh, I think that's what you're sort of referring to. So it's not just your immediate neighborhood um, mm -hmm. in, I don't know, in a graph or uh, in an interface. And I mean, in a way, this asks uh, a, a related question, which I think is also important. Um, and it relates also to, to information sent. Do we, um, is, is there a, a danger of just seeing the same? Uh, so that if we only show the stuff that is similar or that is directly yeah. related, are we just going in circles around the stuff that we are already interested and knowledgeable mm. about? Filter bubble and so on. Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, I think, and I haven't. That's something not even half baked. It's just raw. Uh, how can we? How can we express relationships of difference, of complementarity, mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. of of you know the other corner of the of the of the data set? Uh, that has something interesting to say about where you're at right now, but it's not similarity. Right. Well, it could be interesting um, to think about if a user actually engages for a longer time, how can we make sure he sees a relevant portion of the whole thing? You know, so he has seen, you know, talking about Paris again, maybe he teleported him sometimes <laughs> into the different quarters just to mix it up a little. Yeah and, yeah. Uh, and and so he can still do this instance-based exploration, but we make sure he, he encounters enough different stuff and isn't always yeah, running think, in circles more or less. Yeah. I think there might be there might be some backlash if if the system is the smart agent that decides, oh, you mm -hmm. really should go to this other corner of the city or of the data set because you haven't seen it yet. But I think what would be as well, or maybe on uh, alternatively uh, useful is Letting uh, searchers or viewers 
make these decisions. So actually saying, oh, I know I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm circling myself here, yeah. but uh, the interface gives me a way to navigate away from it. Yeah. Um, Go to so, the opposite um, content would be a nice button sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't, I don't know yet how, how to do that. I mean, uh, the random button, you know, yeah, has been around nice in, in search and in Wikipedia, yeah. but it's not, it's not quite that. Um, so uh, we worked. So um, <laughs> I, I might, I could mention another project that sort of slightly relates to that. Also relates to that question uh, to uh, to overview and uh, the individual element. Um, are you up for it? Absolutely. Sure. Go ahead. Always. <laughs> okay, so that's something I've done with um, uh, two people in Newcastle uh, Uni, um, Rob Comer and uh, Martin Dade Robertson. And it's we, we call it uh, monadic exploration. And uh, it's it's this um, this notion of navigating similar to pivot paths between uh, individual elements, but then actually still showing the whole collection around these elements. And we call it monadic because um, it's inspired or informed by um, by sort of a, a philosophical and sociological concept of the monads. Of um, it's, it's something that Bruno Latour, a French sociologist, has been writing about over the last couple of years, and it essentially is um, is, is a sort of alternative to the distinction between the micro and the macro. So instead of talking about the individual and society, uh, he, he argues that society is really hard to grasp anyways, and the individual is too little to actually make sense yeah. of. So why don't we take the individual, and you know, in sociology it would be a human, in maybe in our case it would be data points, resources. If we take the individual element as a, as a, as a, as a position, and as a vantage point on the whole world, and the whole world might be a collection of photos, or um, you know, maybe in, in in sociological terms, it might be society. Mm -hmm. Then we could um, now, in, in terms of visualization, we could arrange the collection or the data set uh, around that individual element in a way that still shows this is this element's perspective mm -hmm. it you know it's very unique it's it's uh, how you know it relates strongly or weakly with other elements but it doesn't uh, uh, show just the immediate neighbors or the uh, immediate uh, properties of that element mm -hmm. but actually allows you to see beyond that so on the on the sort of metaphorically speaking on the horizon you would still see the elements that this element is not so much related to so you could you know then uh, uh, navigate um uh, sort of so to speak, to the other side of the data set, um, um, you know, if, if you if you make that choice. And how yeah, is the project called, or, or where is it? Um, so it's called Monadic Exploration, mm -hmm. and it's still in submission ah. um, as a paper. <laughs> but we have a demo online, oh, cool. so you can you can play around with it. Okay. Can you send um, us the link so um, we can add it on the I, on the blog post? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I have to say a few extra words actually. So we worked uh, with the with the uh, a book editor team. Um, to actually uh, bring this uh, demo out, so um, they have uh, they um, it's the the team behind Beautiful Trouble, which is um, sort of a a book on um, creative and I have to say peaceful forms of activism. Mm -hmm. And uh, the interesting thing about the book is, besides the content, which is uh, really uh, uh, exciting, I find, but besides the the actual content of the different chapters, is that they are all interlinked. So when you browse through the paper book, you see on the on the margins. All these different uh, see also links. Mm -hmm. So, as a visualizer, as a as a as a computer nerd, uh, I, I see a network, uh, and I and I, I want to you know bring it on a screen. And they actually uh, have their all their content online on their website. So um, when we um, when when I contacted them, they were actually quite open to uh, to working on that as a visualization project. And um, we um, um, we sort of thought this through both sort of conceptually, but then. Eventually, also in its sort of design ways, how do you arrange, uh, you know, over a hundred uh, little modules in a way that encourages encourages navigation, shows also something for for each element, and and you know how how search uh, um, uh, plays into that, and uh, it was it was really nice project actually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. I I just want to briefly mention one one thing that came into my mind is that I I truly believe that this idea of starting so instead of following the overview first. Uh, path starting from 
starting from one specific seed point is not only interesting as a way to explore a data set or might be interesting for um, exploration and serendipity. I also have practical examples where this kind of paradigm can be really, really useful because it matches much, much better the mental model that people have of the, of the problem that they want to solve. So to give you a specific example, actually this this comes from my own work. A few, a few years back I was working with a group of biologists and uh, and um, so these people is interested in finding um, specific molecules that have certain behaviors, okay? And for months and months, we, we kept working on overviews of the old data set that they get out of these experiments that involve hundreds of thousands of molecules, okay? And every time we, we, we showed our results to them, they, the reaction was always kind of like, hmm, yeah, that's interesting, but and there was always a but at the end, right? And, and and I had a very hard time because we tried kind of like three or four different kind of completely different visual visual um, designs, right? And then one day I started speaking with, with this guy, a, a biochemist, and it lo and all in a sudden I realized, man, these people are really much interested. They're not interested at all in the in the overview. They don't want to detect patterns. They want to see what happens around some specific molecules they're interested in, right? So the way they think about the problem is what happens around this molecule? So even if they have a, a thousand, a million, or whatever kind of molecules in the, as an outcome from their experiment, they have an entry, as an entry point, they think about, I want to see what happens around this set of molecules. Then around can mean, Ten, hundreds, thousands, and so on, right? But here you have a specific example of how even in practical ter terms and even in projects where the focus is pretty much on problem solving, the way they think about the problem might actually lead to a design that starts from a specific seed point. And mm -hmm. I think this can apply to many other cases. So I have the feeling that there are cases where the way a person thinks about the problem matches very, very well with the idea of starting from one seed point or a few mm -hmm. seed points. And I mm -hmm. think this, is, this yeah. is somewhat unexplored. There has been a paper on that, and I don't recall the exact author list, but I think Frank Van Ham yeah, uh, was absolutely. Uh, one author, and I think also Adam Perra. Adam Perra, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, it's uh, search first and uh, expand later or something it's like this. It's called search, so they were talking about show context, expand on demand. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's another mantra type thing. It's another, yeah. You yeah. scientists are in this mantra thing? <laughs> no, but they are basically advocating for the same kind of thing. Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's cool. We are slightly, we are quite esoteric people, don't you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I realized very late, but then I realized hard. <laughs> what I find fascinating about that, you know, uh, Enrico, you working with biologists and sort of developing, oh, wow, there are actually certain problems that uh, require a different perspective. And um, I am noticing this more and more that actually, from in my case, sort of uh, um, particular collections or information spaces, maybe archives, that engaging with the people who maintain uh, mm. this this data set or you know these resources is actually can be really fruitful because um, so when we sort of when I want to sort of support this notion of the information flaneur, um, I don't want a neutral sort of clinical version of the data. I think what is useful and what is sort of also um, inviting is uh, a, a representation, an interface that, um, how do you say, uh, respects the ethos and the aesthetics of, of a collection. Maybe mm -hmm. that's not what the biologists are after, but actually developing a sensibility for the data and also for the context and for the aura or for, you know, the spirit. Right. And going back to the esoteric stuff, right? Actually, sort of the softer aspects that might not play to what we think or what we have thought what visualization is about but I think we should also keep that in mind and uh, we actually worked with a photo archive in Newcastle uh, and you know sort of 
sort of ethical and 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 uh, and yeah ethical questions and also the questions of how how photos uh, would be shown in which kind of context were key because these you know these photos were um, documenting people's lives and you know you can't just mess it up mm. randomly like there's there's there are stories there's fabric that you can't yeah just also apart. if uh, let's say you just you have just numbers and somebody's just interested in finding a number or summing up numbers then the number is sort of the end point but if you visualize let's say an art collection yeah then yeah. the things you're visualizing is just an indexical like a pointed to the actual thing, which is, is like this super deep work and has this huge historical context and has the artist and uh, behind it and so on. And so I, I absolutely agree. That's a whole different story and you can't mash them up like arbitrarily or just do the average of two artworks and see what you end up with. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, you can, you can play around with it and there sure, have been sure. some nice attempts doing this, but I think you, you lose a lot um, of integrity and um, I think there's this, I find, it, I find it quite fruitful to actually hear. Well, also to be pointed out what the interesting linkages are. Mm -hmm. Sure, we can link, you know, we can link the crap out of uh, the data sets that we have. But what are actually the meaningful and the, maybe the links that are not uh, shown in typical um, interfaces? Yeah. And I think working with, you know, domain experts and the, the people that actually use these data sets and these collections in their own work, uh, is super beneficial, yeah. and then I think can also uh, give rise to new uh, new representations, new new uh, new, new visualizations. Yeah. So yeah, let, let's let's just assume I just registered like um, monadflaneur.com and I want to start my own thing there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, more seriously. Do, do you have any any tips or from your experiences? It's like if you want to optimize for that precise thing, like the serendipity and the information send and the flaneurism. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are there any like design patterns or things where you thought these things would be easy, but then turned out hard or any mechanisms which you find interesting, something where people mm -hmm. can get started in, in designing interfaces for flaneurs? Yeah, that, that's exactly sure. the same kind of question that I wanted to ask oh, nice. Marian, Very because good. even from the academic point of view, I'm just trying to think how how do you so as long as soon as you move out of this problem solving kind of kind of framework, how do you how do you actually guide yourself into the design process? When do you know that you have designed the right quote thing, right? Ooh, okay, <laughs> Sorry, we are torturing so, you today. We're curious people. <laughs> we're grieving money. So, so first of all, um, you know, if you are, if you, if you have the information flaneur on your side, or you identify uh, with him and her, um, I think that's already useful to actually. That's and that's that's just the benefit of personas, and ha you know, personas have been around in in design thinking for years, maybe ages. I don't know, but you know. That's that's already. I think that's already that can be useful to have a concrete person with certain abilities and characteristics and and, and so forth. Now to actually <clears throat> move this forward uh, into um, into your design process, I found uh, the notion of explorability very useful. So to me, this is like a complementary principle besides usability. While usability speaks to um, the sort of interface uh, mechanisms, you know, are the buttons, uh, do they have the right size? Mm -hmm. uh, is the text legible and, and so forth? Um, it's sort of usability, in my uh, eyes, describes a relationship between uh, interface and hardware and um, or, you know, artifacts uh, and, and the user or the, the viewer and so forth. Mm -hmm. And for me, explorability um, in a way, says yeah, there can there can be hardware, software, visualization, blah blah. blah. Th these are sort of the mediating things. But let's talk about the relationship between the content or the information space or the data and the searcher or the viewer, mm -hmm. right? So human and information maybe. And I think explorability is uh, is useful because it speaks to well, we really want to have this flaneur engage with with the data, move around, and then and under that sort of umbrella term, explorability. Uh, how can we make information spaces explorable? I found sort of three guiding concepts useful. First, um, orientation. So um, think about how your interface shows you where you are in an information space and also where you can go. Mm -hmm. So um, make invitations for your next uh, navigation steps and also vice versa. Give a way to um, or, uh, provide mechanisms to uh, 
trace back your um, or uh, to go back to where you started. Mm -hmm. So the obvious uh, sort of function in, in a browser is, of course, the back button or the browser's history, something that actually is still not very often supported in visualizations um, so that you can actually uh, have sort of like an implicit well, not bookmarks, we can also use it for bookmarks, but an implicit sort of uh, history of uh, uh, the navigation steps that we have um, in, in the visualization. So that's sort of orientation, um, both where we have been and also where we can go. Um, and then there's this principle of visual momentum. Um, it, I, it's sort of this notion of um, uh, perceptual continuity that, that describes that when we have two subsequent display states, how much overlap is between them. Mm -hmm. So when I move from uh, one search result page to the next, because I add, added a new query term, um, maybe there's actually overlap between the results. And visual momentum, if there's a high level of uh, visual momentum, um, I can actually make the connection because maybe uh, a result item moves uh, a few steps up and it's actually animated to that state. But this actually, in our, you know, in today's search interfaces, uh, visual momentum is very low because we have abrupt changes. So if you want to um, support that sort of more continuous um, experience through an information space, think about how the subsequent display states are intertwined and and, uh, and sort of connected mm -hmm. through transitions and, and animations and so forth. Um, don't overdo it. You know, it doesn't always make sense. It might be quite distracting <laughs> to use, you know, uh, rotating whatever uh, crazy animations. But where it makes sense, where actually the same elements are between two um, uh, display states, try to, you know, create some continuity so that um, your perceptual apparatus is not always asked, oh, where am I? Where am I? Where Where's the element from the last display state? And so forth. Um, and the third sort of concept is I find uh, quite hard to design for serendipity, but um, I think it's important as designers of these sort of visualizations and, and uh, information interfaces is to think about how we make invitations to discover things that we didn't look for and and actually um, and pursue these sort of uh, information encounters. And um, we talked about this already quite a bit, but um, essentially, um, yeah, show... Uh, Things that are related for maybe strange reasons or for unexpected reasons. And yeah, but it's something more that emerges probably if you do all the rest right, right? Or, I mean, it's difficult to start with saying like, oh, we want to optimize for serendipity or, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, it's hard. But well, so if, if you're dealing with, with photo collections, you know, um, for example, and, and look at the relationships between photos or between sets, I think it can be useful to ask yourself as a designer um, what would it mean to make a serendipitous encounter? Um, yeah. You know, going from, if you're just moving within sets and if it's just your hierarchical, typical, you know, album, whatever, or, or set uh, situation, maybe there's almost no opportunity for these encounters. And how, how can you expose some other linkages that are maybe something that you didn't look for or wouldn't look for otherwise? Yeah, super interesting. So do you think there will be like a Flaneur Designer's Handbook out some at some point? Um, I don't, I'm not, I, I don't see myself as, as, a, as a book author, but um, I think, I mean, there are some uh, visualization and search, you know, has been a topic for, for quite some time. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, we will see more of it. And I think uh, it will start with maybe smaller visualizations integrated in search and maybe these larger visualizations integrating more and more search capability and, um, yeah, I, I, I can keep you posted. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I absolutely agree. All the, There's so much potential for visualization in the cultural sphere that we don't really, or just a few people who are just interested, you know, they make use of that and, and do really exciting stuff. But I think there's going to much more to come both on a like institutional level, like visualizing collections of museums or things like that, but also your personal stuff, like your music library, your photos, your texts. Uh, I think that's super exciting. Any other projects we should check out? Are there any like really, really um, amazing projects in that area? Um, see, I'm. I was actually now that you just mentioned um, uh, collections. I'm not sure if we talked before the show or during the show uh, about uh, generous interfaces and um, Mitchell Whitelaw's work. No, we haven't. Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, I found his notion of uh, generosity uh, in terms of uh, uh, interfaces very useful. Mm -hmm. So instead of being stingy and only showing you something after you entered a search query, a generous collection interface actually shows you already samples of the of the resources of the paintings or of the of the photos, whatever, and uh, blending this with uh, visualization power. So actually showing maybe the distribution of resources over time mm -hmm. or among different um, techniques and so forth. So I think that's that's very useful. Um, I mean, there's lots of activity in this space. You were just mentioned cultural collections. Uh, the digital humanities are have been for the last few years uh, becoming really interested in visualization. Yeah. Um, in collections, lots of things are moving uh, right now. So. Uh, I, I can send you some links um, when some things come to mind. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Great. Fascinating topic. Yeah. I'm now, yeah, I'm all for building browsing interfaces I feel like now. we just started scratching the surface. <laughs> yeah, I true. agree. I mean, even just thinking about visualization integrated with search, looks like there's, there's not much of... I, I cannot think of too many examples where... Visualization and search are very well tied together, coupled. And uh, there, there were a lot like 15 years ago, yeah, 10 to 15 yeah, exactly. years. You know, yeah, there was yeah, a lot of research in that area. Absolutely. But then, sort of, yeah, the, the focus has shifted a bit. Yeah. 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 yeah and I think they were, they were all very much tied to the, this old notion old, of yeah. search that you um, enter a search query and you quickly grasp what is the most relevant. Mm -hmm. And I think now there are some thinking about more, you know, exploratory search, slow search, mm -hmm. um, more open-ended types of uh, information seeking. And I think this is really where uh, visualization can can shine to um, to show relationships that you that you wouldn't need if you just look for a book quickly, but that you might be interested in um, when you want to sort of search through as opposed to search quickly. Right. Right. Yeah, or for a collection, just understand what's there and not what's there in sums, but what's there in, in things and in actual things that you can <laughs> inspect and and quickly understand. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Super interesting. Cool. Good stuff. I think we have to wrap it up. Um, time's almost up. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, we should chat more at some point. Maybe uh, maybe we we will at some point actually manage to get Moritz out to a visualization conference. <laughs> Only serendipitously. <laughs> <laughs> no, Paris is like um, is 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 uh, yeah. It's difficult. Ah, come on. There, <laughs> come on. So if far Paris away. No, I, I think I'll make it to Paris in, in one way or the other. I yeah. mean. You have to. I might stage a little counter conference, for instance. <laughs> I think you should take a helicopter and <laughs> shoot myself randomly into the city and start walking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> With a couple That's of bodyguards. That's the spirit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anything else would be too analytic. <laughs> yeah, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay, guys. Yeah, it was great cool. talking to you, Marianne. Thank Thanks you, so Marianne. much. Thank you guys for having me. It's it's and uh, it has been a pleasure also listening to you guys for the last um, twenty nine episodes. Yeah. So uh, keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. 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 bye.